2: Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, where I am still on lockdown, but as many of you know, I have been traveling back and forth to New Jersey to engage in some online poker fun on legal, regulated websites such as WSOP.com, and also uh, New Jersey Party Poker has been fun. The action has been great uh yeah i've done pretty well i'm enjoying myself this week we have a returning guest he is a professional poker player who is also the manager of acr stormers he's active online poker and in the twitch world you know him you love him we're talking about snost and lost jason smith how are you jason
1: great clayton thank you so much for having me again
2: yeah thanks for coming back on uh since you and I spoke last, I have been I've gone from basically dabbling in online poker to essentially becoming a full time pro. I mean, I'm playing like five days a week at this point. Yeah, I uh, feel like
1: I see you on the tables uh, every time I'm I'm out there. <laughs>
2: yeah, we're in the exact same streets, it seems. We've yeah we've been seated uh, together a few times. My general strategy when you're in the hand is, uh, well, you know, I know this guy is better at poker than i am so that's bad and he also knows a whole lot about how i play which is also probably bad so i try not to get involved with you where i can help it but sometimes you know the cards just dictate that we clash but yeah it's definitely never my intention to uh, get involved with someone who knows me so well um but yeah how has online been treating you lately uh, you know, I haven't really been
1: playing all that much. I've been playing maybe one to two days a week over the last month or so. Um, just been busy with, uh, you know, real life stuff family yeah. and, uh, and all that. It's been, uh, beautiful weather here. So we've been, you know, taking advantage of spending a lot of time outside and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. So you're in Texas, right? That's right. Yeah. And so nice weather this time of year. And, uh, is everyone still, you know, masking it up and, and quarantining and stuff? Yeah, like, so when you're inside in
1: public places, I think it's pretty, most people are still wearing masks and businesses are asking people to wear masks. Um, it's, like, kind of, like, strongly suggested and not so much, like, law here, you know? Right. Um, But, you know, it's kind of the courteous thing to do if you're going to be indoors. Basically, if you're outdoors outdoors. Uh, there's no need for it because most of the time when you're outdoors, you're not in like a populated area anyway. You're pretty much like we'll go on nature trails and stuff like that, where it's just like me and my wife or me and my wife and the kids or whatever, that
2: kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the government has to be a little bit more gentle about how they ask you to do things when you're in Texas, because pretty much everybody there has guns. So <laughs> they have well, to be I mean, nice that, to the all... citizens, right?
1: Sure. But also here, I mean, you know. It just didn't affect Texas the way it did in like some of the northeast states or uh, even just like the the middle northwest, like Michigan and Minnesota, had it way worse than than Texas did. I think Texas is the second highest populated state in the country, and it was like 15th on the list of COVID cases. So it's way down the list per population. Yeah, it seems you know? to me
2: like there's a big difference between having a big population and having a lot of area. And so Texas is a very populous state but it's also very spread out and so i think that has a lot yeah, to do with it yeah,
1: exactly.
2: here in new york sure. uh you know we're getting visitors from all over the world every day and we're all on top of each other so yep. that's Absolutely. why we are you know as the media loves to call us the epicenter <laughs> why wouldn't we be the epicenter of this disaster as we are yeah everything well, else like,
1: like like you said with everybody on top of each other and you know i don't know if this has much to do with it this isn't coming from a Uh, a place of like, I know this for a fact, but I think that I've heard and read stuff that says in areas with warmer temperatures, it makes it more difficult for the virus to spread. And we've been in the nineties here for a month and we were in the eighties for basically all of April. So it's been like, it's been really warm here. I mean, it's been in the nineties here for, you know, two, two and a half, three weeks at least. Um, so, so I think that has something to do with it too. It's just like, you know, you guys were dealing with like, you know, you guys were going down into the 30s at nights and, and 40s and 50s during the day some of those days. And so I think that's like prime weather for the virus to spread too. You know, yeah.
2: In, in New York especially, it's been a ridiculously cool spring. Um, so yeah, even today I think it only got up to like 75, and here we are almost in June. So who knows i mean uh hopefully we're nearing the tail end of it you know i keep hearing how there's going to be a second wave or there might be a second wave or if we all don't start behaving ourselves there's going to be a third wave i, I don't know i
1: we'll see right I'm,
2: my whole approach nowadays is just we'll see you know i've been i've been home for 3 months now i haven't performed in i don't i don't remember the the last time i was on stage was march 13th so You know, for me, that's ridiculous because normally I would be doing three or four shows a night, especially in good weather. So, uh, you know, just my comedy career is uh, on an absolute pause right now. And I'm basically playing so much online poker and, you know, I'm enjoying it. I've gotten serious about it. You know, back when I was seriously playing online poker, we're talking 2005, 2006, I was really active on party poker and Uh, with full tilt poker and everything before the uh, you know, the government interfered in our you know freedoms and stuff, uh, before Black Friday, well, you know, before they even passed the stupid law in the first place, uh, yeah, I was really active. Paradise Poker was another site I played on quite a bit, and back then there wasn't really such a thing as a HUD, um, you didn't have to worry about you know GTO bots or HUDs, the technology wasn't anywhere near what it was, what it is now. So only recently have I gotten into, you know, I'm using Hold'em Manager. It's very similar to Poker Tracker. I don't really think there's much difference between the two. Um, But I know that you mentioned on a previous episode that you like to use these to kind of keep yourself in check and make sure that your numbers make sense and that your ranges are good. So I've accumulated over 20,000 hands that I'm able to import. Some of the sites I play on, they don't save your hand histories, especially the New Jersey sites. So I'm unable to import those hands, but of the hands that I've played, that I've been able to import. I have almost 20,000. Okay. Um, I was hoping we could talk about n- my numbers. You know, I'll be transparent. I, everybody knows, I don't think I'm the best player in the world. Um, that said, I look at my numbers and I think that these numbers might be pretty hard to beat. So I'd like to get a professional opinion on them. If, if you're willing to go through them with me.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Great. What we can do, if you like, is we can kind of like uh, compare, okay, and kind of go back and forth. Does that sound good?
2: Yeah, that would be great. Now I know sometimes I play in six max events, sometimes I play in eight max events, so I think we should just look at the full ring events at least for starters, because that'll give us a a better uh, idea of what the numbers are and you know comparing apples to apples as best we can.
1: Well, right. but the thing is, this is like over that sample. You're gonna have a bunch of early and middle and late, so we will kind of get like a good average. Just I would, I would say just use it all. Okay. Um, because you're gonna get, you're, you're still like, you know, I mean, you're gonna have more hands in like the low jack and the high jack and the cutoff and the button when you're playing in shorter fields. So your ranges are gonna be a little bit looser. But I think, I think looking at them all together is probably fine, especially okay. with with just a twenty thousand amp. Hand sample, we don't really want to cut too many hands out.
2: Okay. Well, yeah, I was also a little concerned because I made five final tables and I have four second place finishes and one first place finish. So th- those are really going to skew the numbers because you're playing almost every hand once you're heads up or three handed, you know, at the end of a tournament. But yeah, even looking at that, th- those aren't a big percentage. Mm-hmm. Of the overall and in, numbers. in
1: tournaments, you expect that though. You expect to have some of your hands that way in your overall sample, and you expect uh, you know, that's going to affect, you know, what your kind of numbers are that you're looking at. So that's, I think, that's okay.
2: Okay. So if you say it's okay, I say it's okay, and we'll look at all of my hands and all of my numbers. So, I mean, obviously, the first place to start with any of this type of analysis is VPIP, and you know, just. Jason, if you could, for those who don't know, what is VPIP and what is it really telling us?
1: So uh, VPIP stands for VPIP, stands for Voluntarily Puts in Pot. So it's how often you're choosing to put chips in. So if you're posting the big blind and checking, that's not uh, voluntarily putting chips in. But if you raise or call a raise, you're voluntarily putting chips in. Or
2: if if it limps around and you're in the small blind and you just complete. Yep. That
1: yep, as long as, as you're putting chips involuntarily, then then that's where it's gonna go. So, uh, I would say that strong players want to have anywhere from, um, I would say 20 to maybe like 28 or something like that. I mean, you can be really really good and have a higher VPIP overall, um, but it's really tough to to be profitable when you're getting too much higher than like. 28 for a vpip for the average guy
2: okay so here's mine 24.5 so right smack in the yeah, middle of your really range you yeah
1: yep that's strong
2: probably most famous hud stat if you will is pfr so what is that and what does it tell you?
1: pfr is pre-flop raise so that's anytime that you're raising pre-flop you're gonna your pfr stat is going to go up
2: okay so that's not related to the vpip it's not a percentage of the hands that I V-pipped. It's of all the hands.
1: It's so- of all the hands that you've raised. So anytime you 3-bet or, or or just open the pot or 4-bet, any raising pre-flop that you do, that number is going to be affected.
2: Okay, and so how would you... Uh, what kind of numbers do you think a, a professional player should have?
1: It's going to depend on what your V-pip is, but you... Um, it's probably going to be right around like you're gonna want that number to be like around 80, 75 to 80% of your VPIP in general. Uh, maybe a little bit higher than that even. So it can be as low as like say 15 or 16, and as high as you know 24 if you have like a the, like a 28 VPIP. You know.
2: Okay. So with my VPIP of 24.5, I have a pre-flop raise PFR. Of sixteen
1: point two, ooh, so that is that means you're calling maybe a little bit too much.
2: Okay, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's not quite seventy percent.
1: That's what that would indicate to me. Like if your VPIP is that far, um, oh, that 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 much higher than your PFR, it would say to me that that you're flatting a little bit too much. Maybe just. Uh, calling on the button or on the cutoff in spots where maybe you should be three betting a little more often, or maybe calling in middle position when maybe you should be turning your hand into a bluff or uh, you know, like the kids like to call a value bluff, like you're raising for value, but you're going to fold to a four bet. Like you should be doing that a little bit more often.
2: Cool. Yeah. So while I'm playing, I always feel like I'm a maniac and I, I take so many spots to bluff and that I'm, so wild and loose aggressive and then you know hearing somebody like you say that i can ramp that up even more based on at least this one number uh and this is a very important number right Mm -hmm. um at least pre-flop maybe i need to be more aggressive yep
1: um i mean it sounds like you're raising enough at 16 it's not like that number's too low but it just seems like maybe your v pip is too high compared to it so it so there is too many like splashy situations for you where maybe you're getting involved in multi-way situations more often or could well, be. what is your, the thing I'm curious about is what your three bet percentage is gonna be
2: yeah so that's my next stat that I look at um, So the three bet stat is the percentage of the time that the player raises pre-flop when facing a single raised pot so that's, that's right a much more narrow, Right? You only have as many, you don't have as many opportunities to do that. 8.54. 8.54.
1: Okay. So that's like, that's at the low end of what it should be. Like that's like you're, you're three betting enough, but maybe like you could ramp that up a bit. Like you could get that up to about 10 and it would be like a nightmare to deal with you on the tables. Okay. You know? Um, but you are three betting. You are, you know, you're three betting a little bit. Like you, you probably have some three bet blocks occasionally if you're at like a eight and a half,
2: you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I feel like, like I said before, I feel like I take so many spots. <laughs> like I feel mm. like I'm constantly three bet bluffing and putting in the, you know, the cold three bet It's uh, yeah, it's interesting that I, I thought if anything that, you know, someone that's, you know, as first in this, as you are would probably, if I had to predict that you're going to say all these numbers are too high and that I need to calm down, it's really uh, it's very enlightening to hear your uh, reaction because I don't really know what I'm supposed to be. Uh, what what they don't tell you when you when you get one of these programs is what these numbers should be, <laughs> and the yeah, reason why is because there's more than one way to play poker, right?
1: Yeah, it just depends on like your overall strategy, right? Like you can be playing way too loose at a 24 VPIP. But if you're playing a really good strategy with it, then it's fine, and you could even go higher, right? Sure. But it's, so it just depends on the strategy. Like so, so my kind of way that I approach poker is like a a raise tight when folded to me, but three bet very loose. So my my numbers this year I put in, and after like ninety six thousand hands, it's I have a twenty V pip twenty point three a 16.17 PFR, and an 11.23 three-bet preflop.
2: Wow. Yeah, that, you know, having been at the table with you, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like you get involved very often, which kind of is reflected in that 20 as opposed to my 24.5. It's a pretty big difference. Um, but when you do get involved, you seem like you really get after it.
1: Yeah, so, like, I do a lot of stuff where from early and middle position, like, the hands that a lot of people are going to be flatting, like, say, they're king-queen suiteds or ace-jacks or even ace-queens in, against some early position opens, I'm just, like, turning all those hands into, like, you know, value bluffs, whatever. I don't know if they're value bets or, or bluffs. I guess they're value bets when I get called and they're bluffs when I get four bets because I'm just folding all those hands, right? Right. So, So I just turn all those into three bets. And instead of, instead of doing like the call thing and then ending up in multi-way pots a lot of the time, because then what happens when you, like say, you know, uh, under the gun plus one opens, you're in the low jack and you call and then you're like minimum going to get called by the big blind. So now you're in this three-way pot where you are going to have a difficult time representing big boards as bluffs later on. Yeah. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it would be... I don't want to say easier, but it would would just be a more disciplined strategy to implement because you kind of know before you do it what you're planning to do, Mm -hmm. um, you know, given any other information. Now, I'm sure that if you noticed a particular opponent made a particular mistake at a certain frequency, you would maybe change the strategy one way or the other. But kind of going in with that sort of mindset, this is what I'm trying to do at the table. Uh, And then you're playing more heads up pots probably than I end up because I don't raise as much as you. I might end up in more multi-way situations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Great. So what other HUD stats do you think I should be uh, focusing on?
1: Uh, Maybe a raise first in stat. Okay. So that's one that I uh, tend to look at that we didn't go over, like VPIP, PFR, and then raise first. And so that is when it folds to you, do you like you raise? Like you're the first person to raise in the pot. So well, I guess like it limps to you also, but you you're the person who's putting in the first raise. Like what percentage that might be?
2: Okay. So let me see if I can locate that. Okay, here it is. It's 24,
1: 24. So that's good. So that means you're raising quite a bit when it folds to you or when you're um, or if it limps in like nobody has raised yet and it gets to you, you're you're raising 24. That's good. Um, yeah. Like in comparison, mine is 22. Okay. So oh, you're even mm-hmm. more aggressive than than I have been, at least this year. Let me see all dates. If I pull that up, what that number might turn to. Yeah, it's like 23 and a half overall, so I guess I've been a little bit tighter this year than I have in the past. But yeah, yeah, but but that's, I mean, I think that's just solid, you know, solid, a solid raise first in strategy. The interesting thing, so the way that I look at my stats too is I have them broken down by position. So I have all of these stats for small blind, big blind, early position, middle position, cutoff and button. So I'm looking at, like, what is my VPIP from the button versus the cutoff versus middle position versus early position, that kind of thing, right? Sure. So I can see, like, or or what my VPIP is in the big blind and the small blind and, um, you know, for, for, for VPIP or preflop raise or raise first in or even my three bet percentage, I'm kind of looking at that stuff to see, like, and so one of the stats um, – that I look at is my big blinds per 100 and my all-in adjusted big blinds per 100, and what that tells us is how much we're making in each position. But the difficult part for you to look at that right now is with a 20,000 hand sample, it's not quite enough. You want about 100,000 hands before you start looking at those stats and and uh, really relying on them for any any sort of uh, study. Okay. Because it, because they can fluctuate so much in smaller samples,
2: you know? Sure. So why don't we revisit that? I don't think it's going to take me long to get this up to 100,000. <laughs> at the rate yeah. I'm going, it'll be just a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, okay. So that is something we will want to look at. But what do you think those numbers should be in case any of our listeners are, you know, kind of comparing the numbers we're throwing out now to their own spreadsheets at home? Uh, what do you look for in those? for those who have a a large enough sample to really glean anything
1: in the, in the big blinds per 100, you mean? Sure. So, um, so that what that's telling you is how many big blinds you've earned for every hundred paid in each position. Right? So if you're looking at your big blinds per 100 in the big blind, you start at negative 100 because you're posting a big blind every time you're in the big blind. Right. So you're going to have like a negative number in the big blind. But if you can get that down to like negative 30, negative 35, you're in okay shape. If you get it down less than negative 30, you're doing great, right? Um, And in the small blind, it's the same kind of idea. Your big blinds per 100, you're starting at negative 50 big blinds per 100 because you're posting a half a big blind every time. Sure. And if you can get that down to... Less than fifteen, you're doing pretty well. And if you can get it down to around ten, you're doing great.
2: Right. So right. if you're if you're a player, just to make sense of some of these numbers, if you're a player who absolutely never defends his big blind under any circumstances, not that such yes. a player exists, but then you would have that negative one hundred. Exactly. You, yes. You lose all your big blinds for per every hundred hand. Yeah. Um, and likewise, if you always fold your small blind, so that's why you're saying. Like if you're just, you're never going to get a, I shouldn't say never, I'm sure somebody somewhere has a positive number in here, but almost all, all of us are going to have negative numbers in the blinds. So you want to just have them a little less negative or or substantially less negative.
1: You want to get it, but you know, as, as good as you can get it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if anybody who has a hundred thousand hand, hand sample size or higher, it's going to be very, very difficult if they're playing (laughs) six max or more. To right. have, like, plus numbers in those smaller big blinds. <laughs> yeah. I've looked at hundreds of databases and coaching and all that stuff. I've never seen it. So yeah. it's just not something that, uh, you know, you might see a guy with, like, 30,000 hands in his sample and he's, like, plus four big blinds in the small blind or something. But it's, like, by the time he gets to 100,000 hands, that number's back down to, you know, something that makes more sense.
2: Okay. So I had a couple of other stats that I I look at a lot that I try to make sense of, and I wanted to run past you. Like oh the, sure. Like uh, the how about the win percentage at showdown? Like what what do you think a healthy win percentage at showdown? I am
1: ba- I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have no idea. It's okay. just not it's not something that uh, that I look at that okay. much. Okay. It's it's uh it's I have no idea.
2: It seems like it would be an important stat to be able to analyze because uh, I would assume if you have a really, really high win percentage of showdown that, A, you're not bluffing often enough on the river, <laughs> All right? Yes. Uh, or maybe uh, like a really nitty player, right, is going to have close to 100% win the percentage of show, showdown. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I'm surprised that it's not something that I really dug into more, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's just not something that I I generally
2: go towards. So,
1: but yeah, the so what what is your number for winning at showdown? If it's, you don't
2: mind? yeah, it's fifty one point nine. Okay, okay. So I don't and, know.
1: And, and what is your went to showdown percentage?
2: That is forty three point two, which seems a little high, right?
1: Uh, I don't know. My went to showdown is 50, and my went one at showdown is 53. Okay. So it's hard for me to say. But what would be interesting is if you had enough hands, what your big blinds per 100 is. Right, right, because right. Because if you have a plus, like, you know, so you have anything that's like, you know, plus five big, depending on the stakes you're playing. But you know, if you have plus five big blinds per 100, you're you're a winning player. And if you have you know plus seven or eight you're doing pretty well and if you're like over 10 you're crushing the game right, right? like so the what that's what would be interesting to me is like what your when to showdown is and also your big blinds per 100 to see like well whatever you're doing seems to be killing it if you're like you know say your big blinds per 100 is you know 12 big blinds per 100 and you're just you're doing really good then maybe that 43 is great but i I, uh, I wish i was better prepared for that
2: right but in a tournament chart i mean not all big blinds are created equal right because the blinds keep like big blinds that you win later in the tournament are worth so much more than than big blinds that you win in the first level of a tournament right
1: sure but i Absolutely. guess still if you
2: that's why you need the large sample because it will even out over time yeah i got it got it okay yeah, so
1: that's that's why you can't have a Ten thousand hand sample because it's say you you know triple up on the first hand of a tournament and you go from two hundred to six hundred big blinds and you just won four hundred big blinds in a pot that's really gonna skew your numbers right you know? that's
2: why it needs to, we need a bigger sample to really make sense of yep. it I want to go back and just explain what these stats are that we're talking about so uh, I had asked you about the win percentage at showdown which is basically the percent of the time the player uh, wins money at showdown when he sees the flop so it doesn't matter if you fold pre-flop because obviously you're not going to get to showdown but this number is including all the flops you've seen at least on this Yeah, you know, I use hold a manager so that's what it says here um, and then the stat that you asked about is the percentage of time that the player even sees the showdown after having seen the flop Right, so yes. when, when you don't fold between taking a flop and getting to the river, not not folding at any opportunity, how often you do that. And I suspected my number was too high, but then you actually said that yours is higher than mine. But also, if you're starting with a tighter range than I do, you're V-pipping lower, right? Yep. So then you would want to go to the river more often than I do yep. if I'm if I'm playing a few more hands. So... Yeah, I mean, I think these numbers are fun to look at cuz it kind of gives you a macro view of your game, but obviously it still comes down to one decision at a time. You can't you can't be thinking about your HUD stats while you're playing, right? <laughs> I mean <laughs> No,
1: no, that's part of the reason why I just try to like, you know, I know what my strategy is, I know what my ranges are from all over the place, and I just sort of try to stay as grounded in that strategy as I can, and I feel like when I am using a HUD in game, and this Listen, I know there's some flawed thinking here, but just let me let me finish. So what I mean is I know that I will deviate from my strategy more often than maybe I should if I'm looking at numbers in my HUD. And the problem in tournaments is that the sample sizes are just so small that you're only really able to identify like the worst of the worst players. Everybody who's like running reasonable numbers, you don't really know that much about their tendencies until you have thousands of hands on them right but if you have a guy where after 50 hands he has a 60 v pip and a two race first or a two pfr then you know this guy is a goofball and you should just be trying to isolate him as much as possible right so i am missing out on that information sometimes for sure
2: right but if you're just paying enough attention to your table you probably can pick up on that with you know relative ease i would think Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see a guy who's a loose, passive calling station type. I mean, they're pretty easy to spot, I think. Yeah, Um, for sure. No, they definitely are. Uh,
1: Just you just get into that. You get into spots where you miss that when you're playing. Like if you're playing a bunch of tables. Recently, I've been down to like six at a time again. Um, But but if you know, when I'm going through phases where I'm playing 12 or 15 tables at a time, you know, I'm going to miss out on some of that.
2: Oh, for sure, because you can't pay attention to everything. That, that would be superhuman. All yeah. right, good. So before we get to the hand, I wanted to ask you about one more stat that I thought might be important, the uh, fold-to-three-bet stat. Now, this stat tells us the percentage of the time the player folds pre-flop when facing a three-bet. Okay, so mm-hmm. now, first, a question. Does that mean that I am necessarily the person who put in the raise?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's a fold to three bet when raised first in maybe. Okay. Um,
2: so it's – I think so. So it's somewhat tied to that RFI stat you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a – I don't think you're going to have, like, it's going to be affected if, like, it goes raise and through – or open and three bet in front of you and then you fold.
2: Okay, right. So it's, it's when I've already uh, attacked this pot and now somebody plays back at me. What do you think is a good number for this category, fold to three-bet percentage?
1: Uh, again, it's not a number that I look at when I'm reviewing my hands, but I'm gonna, I'll am going to i pull it up and let you know where I'm at with it.
2: Yeah, I'm curious. Um, Especially with you starting with a somewhat tighter range than I do, um, you would probably be folding to three-bets a little less often than I am, theoretically, because you're going to have generally stronger hands overall. You don't even look at these stats. Well, I, I mean, there are.
1: I mean, there's there's definitely value in looking at them. Look, I, I am embarrassed that I don't know more about my went to showdown numbers and like what's good and bad. Like, really? I was, when you asked that, I was like, oh man, I should know this. And kind of <laughs> this stat, too. This is a stat like almost everybody uses. And almost everybody who uses a HUD in game has this stat up because they're trying to figure out who they can pick on. But again, it's like, man, if you only have like. 10 opportunities versus a guy like what does that really tell you about his tendencies like not much right right and so how long does it take for you to get a thousand attempts of fold to three bet versus a guy i mean how many overall hands do you have to have sure like ten thousand, fifteen thousand hands i don't know a ton
2: yeah right? and again so it's like you i don't really pay that much attention to my opponent's stats i mean yeah i'll have the hud up while i'm playing um but I don't really use it that in that because especially with my limited number of, of hands on anybody, I can't really glean too much from the numbers I'm looking at. Uh, sometimes something will stand out. Like you say, I'm trying to figure out what my numbers are. I want to make sure that I'm not too exploitable. Like if I fold to a three bet too often, then I'm pretty easy to beat. Cause all you have to do is every time I raise just, you know, get after it and you'll you'll get me to lay down too often and you're printing money by the same token if i don't fold to three bets enough then i'm probably ending up playing in inflated pots from out of position with mediocre hands too often so you don't want to be doing either one of these things i'm just trying to make sure that my numbers are good for me not so much trying to figure out who i can bully (laughs) or whatever
1: yeah yeah sure sure and fold. I, I'm looking at this fold to three bet number and I think I was wrong. I think it does include times where it's just a three bet in front of you too, because I have like a 91 and a 93% fold to three bet uh, from the small and big blind. And I'm just, I mean, I don't think that I'm raising enough hands in the big blind when it like limps to me for me to be raised folding 93% of the time to three bets. That's gotta be wrong. So it is any time you just fold to a three bet
2: to any three like, bet. Okay, any
1: three bet. Like even if it's like there's a three bet in front of you and you've now folded, like that counts. That does count towards it. Okay. Um, according to the way these numbers are calculated, mine is a seventy eight point three. So I'm folding to, like almost eighty percent of the time when there's a three
2: bet. What about you? Wow. So I wonder if now we don't use the same program. So you're using uh, Poker Tracker and I'm using Hold'em Manager. So Our numbers are so different that I'm really wondering because I'm only at 29.6.
1: Oh, for full to three, do you you call three bets a lot? Like you open and then they three bet and you just
2: call them? I don't feel like I do that a lot. No. I feel like I do that probably some because sometimes the (laughs) three bet is so small that the price is too good. So I know that I'm kind of taking the worst of it. You know, for example, like if I open with, if we put some actual hands on it, like, if I open with, like, a suited Jack-10 and the guy, like, min clicks it back and it folds back to me, now I'm going to be out of position with Jack-10 suited. I know I don't have the best hand, but I'm getting, like, four and a half to one. Yeah, I'm not you're be folding. With Yeah, with that hand. So yeah, that, that seems to happen a lot in the tournaments I play.
1: Sure, 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 of course. Yeah, like, when they min three bet, I mean, I'm basically, I don't think I have a hand I would fold.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: but, uh yeah, I think they must be calculated different. They must be like two different stats on Hold'em Manager and uh, Poker Tracker. Maybe on yours it's fold to three bet when you've opened, and mine is just fold to three bet whenever there's a three bet available.
2: Yeah, all so, right. So, so it's yeah. hard
1: to tell because there's no way that <laughs> that yeah. I'm seventy eight fold to three bet and you're twenty two. That's like that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, you know? it doesn't make
2: sense. So um,
1: yeah, so far off. Unless you're just like. Hyperly defensive, you know. <laughs> I never, never go away. I play,
2: I play everything. But,
1: yeah, you haven't struck me as that, like when I have played with you. But that's what, like, if it was the same number as mine, it's like, geez, Clayton. Yeah. Keep yeah. your pants on, bro.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you can't bully me out of this pot. I'm gonna stand my ground. God damn it. Yeah. 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 All right. No. Well, that's uh super helpful. I hope that the listeners find this stuff. As interesting as I do, and I realize that many of you have been looking at HUDs for many, many years. Um, it took a quarantine for me to get this serious about online poker. You guys know me. I'm mostly a live player. I'm getting more serious about my online game um, just because that's all I can do right now. This is my sole source of income, essentially, uh, for the moment. So uh, I apologize to anyone for whom this is like so rudimentary and such a review, but I think it's kind of eye opening that some of these questions, uh, you know, even Jason here, who's you know very, very skilled in these areas, uh, you know, didn't really have an immediate answer for some of these questions, which I think reveals that there there are a lot of ways to to play poker and probably a lot of ways to look at these numbers right now. Someone who's like a super lag, like someone like Tom Dwan, his numbers are going to be so different from yours or mine, but that doesn't mean that he's.
1: No, of course, like, yeah, like, I mean, you know, there are guys who I've seen have great, there used to be this guy named the Battler 33 that was like an online legend pre-Black Friday, and uh, he still had some success in online poker even after Black Friday, uh, and I think he's still around playing a little bit today, but anyway, he used to carry numbers like a 32 or 34 VIP and like a 28 PFR and like, you know, like a, only like a six or seven three bet preflop, but this dude was a crusher, like an absolute beast. He had like a million dollars worth of profit, and his like the highest score was like fifteen k or something.
2: Wow! So he was a yeah, total he, hyper lag, and he he, he made it work. Yeah.
1: yeah, he just knew how to exploit people. He was just like the best hand reader. Yeah. You know? And so he knew how to exploit people post flop before when everybody was still trying to figure out like what to do preflop. He was like. You know, just a guy who who just understood the game deeper than than other people. And the funny thing is, is he's the kind of guy who, like, it, it would be difficult for him to explain his strategy or what he does. But he just knew what he was doing. You know, he was just really good at what he was up to, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. And that's uh, I mean, that's a good guy to be a step ahead yeah. of the game, if you will.
1: Yeah. 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 And so it's it's tough to play against somebody when they're doing things you're not expecting you know, poker players are easy to play against when they're predictable. When they're unpredictable, it makes it a nightmare, you know?
2: For sure. Definitely. And that's why when people tell me there's a lot of bots on a certain website, I'm like, I'm not too scared of that. <laughs> At yeah. least if I figure out how the bots play, I could probably exploit them too.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> All right. So uh, I know I had asked you if you uh, wanted to bring a hand to discuss with me. So were you able to find one?
1: Yeah, it's a a pretty simple hand this time, but it's a situation that we run into a lot. And so I'm hoping that we find a way to teach people a trick on uh, hand reading and when to attack um, when we have a range advantage and to win a small pot more often. So hopefully we can can figure that out. So it's a situation where we're at a full table and we have like a 29 big blind stack. Okay. And we have King, Queen in the Big Blind.
2: Okay. So what are the blinds?
1: Oh, the blinds are 1150 and
2: 2300. (laughs) I love online poker. 1150 and 2300. And there's some kind of ante, I'm sure. Yep. All right.
1: So we have 66,000 behind our 2300 Big Blind that we've posted. Okay. A guy from the low jack opens to 4,700, so it's basically a min raise. A min raise plus a, a chip. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in the big blind with king, queen, and we elect to just call and see a flop.
2: I have no problem with that.
1: Yep, being 30 big blinds deep. So now there's 13,000 in the middle. I don't know. What does that translate into big blinds with 2,300 as the big blind? I guess there's 5.67 big blinds. Right in the middle.
2: Yeah, another way we could do it is uh, let's figure out your SPR real quick. So how yeah. much is left in your stack? Uh,
1: basically five, like a five SPR. Okay. The flop here.
2: Yeah, so now one thing I think of in a heads-up pot, if I have an SPR of five, uh, if I flop, the type of hand you're usually going to flop, if anything, with a king-queen is... Uh, maybe like a top pair with a decent kicker is kind of the most likely playable hand that you're going to make. Uh, so you, you're you not really trying to get all in. You have too many chips to try to get yeah, all we're in. Yeah, we're not going have.
1: for too many check shoves or anything like that. Yeah, no.
2: it's a little too deep. No, it's so a little too deep. Yeah, yep. no, if, you're, if your SPR is three or less, then you can start thinking in those terms. But I think yep. around five, it's where we're just going to be wanting to play a smaller pot probably unless we really smash this flop. So, all right. So what comes out? Okay.
1: So uh, we have the king of spades and queen of diamonds. And the flop comes ten of hearts, seven of clubs, six of hearts.
2: Okay. Ten, seven, six with Mm -hmm. two hearts. Yep. And we have king of spades and queen of?
1: uh, Queen of diamonds.
2: Queen of diamonds. Okay. So we don't have... have a heart.
1: No kind of flush draws or backdoor draw. No, no kind of backdoor flush draws or anything like that.
2: Right. right? We have no pair and no draw unless you count a potential backdoor straight draw. <laughs> you yeah, have two overs and a backdoor straight <laughs> draw. Maybe have here. Okay.
1: But the flop comes 10-7-6, and we're playing from the big blind, and this guy's raising from middle position. So he's not going to have like any two pair combos, or at least he shouldn't. Um. And he's only going to have a few of the 10X combos where we're going to have all the 10X, especially like the suited versions, like 10 2 to 10 5, and then the offsuit versions 10 6 off and up. Um, he's not going to have any of that stuff, not until you start getting to like 10 9 or 10 8 suited, maybe. Um, and then offsuit 10s is probably like 10 Jack is the lowest thing he's going to have here, and maybe even 10 Queen. Right. And and uh, so so we're going to have a bunch more top pair than he's going to have, although he's going to have stronger top pairs than us on average. Um, we're going to have the, all the two pair combinations. He's not going to really have any of those. Maybe occasionally a 7-6 suited he could have for middle position That's possible. Um, but, you know, we're going to have all of the sets. So is he he's going to have over pairs, but there's ways for this board to run out where we're going to have a pretty good range advantage. You know, we're going to have more combos of eight, nine, because if he has any combos of eight, nine, they're going to be the suited versions, So only four, and we're going to have all the unsuited versions, which gives us like, you know, an additional 16 combos. Right.
2: Yeah. And that's and... huge. That's a huge difference. I mean, we are.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to have it four out of six times, you know, like it, based on, like, how many combos we have. So two-thirds of the time we're going to have it, and only one-third of the time he's going to have it. But but, so, so my plan on a board like this is almost always going to be a check call, right? Okay. That is going to be the way that I look at this board in general. Now, if the guy bets pot or more, you know, I'm going to – probably just like fold my hand because we don't really have that much but if he goes for a bet that is like you know around the half pot area or less I mean we're definitely going to want to peel one here because what ends up happening is this on a board like this is you get players who want to see bet because they think they're supposed to see bet and they probably are in a lot of cases but then when they get called they just give up if the board doesn't come out like another large card So, like, say the board comes a 2 or a 3 or a 4 or a 5, he's just going to have a lot of checkbacks on the turn. And when he has checkbacks on the turn, what he's saying is, I don't have any overpairs, I don't have any sets, I don't have any top pairs. So now that becomes a place where we can look to bluff later on, right? But also, if we check call and say the turn comes a 9 or a jack, those are great cards for us to check raise. One because we're going to have way more 8x in our range which makes a straight when it comes a 9 and will also give us a gut shot. And then we can also check shove on a jack turn cuz now we have two overs in an open under, right? So it does give us some playability also against some double barrels, but also, you know, we'll just fold to most double barrels that aren't those cards. I know I just said a lot there, is that where we
2: no, I'm following you. Yeah, no, okay. I think this is great. So, I mean, to summarize, uh, you're going to check and call on this flop most often because uh, there are a lot yeah, of ways. Most you, of the... you, there are a lot of ways you can end up winning this pot because at the end of the day, you have something of a range advantage against what this guy should be playing from middle position. Yep. Yeah, and that that's great because you know many times players will just say, well, I missed a flop, I don't have much, there's two hearts and I don't have a heart, so I'm just going to check fold. But they could be missing out on some opportunities. The truth
1: of it is, is we don't actually have a range advantage yet, but we're going to have a range advantage on a lot of runouts. On
2: certain runouts, so, right, okay.
1: Yep, on, yep and in a good amount of them. You know, we're going to really have a, a big advantage if the board pairs, say, or if it comes another card 10 or lower. Basically, any card 10 or lower and then all of a sudden, it like kind of flips to our advantage on the turn, especially if he checks back.
2: Right. And by the way, just to uh, go back what we said before about nine eight versus him only ever having nine eight suited, uh, many players won't even play all their nine eight suiteds from his position. So we might we might be even more likely to have it than he does. I mean, almost nobody is going to open with nine eight off suit from uh, middle position very much. So if ever. And then some players will only have some combos of nine eight suited that they even open. So yeah. yeah, I do think we have uh, you know what Andrew Brokes, our friend Andrew, likes to call a nuts advantage. Yeah, um, yeah, we
1: definitely have the nuts advantage for
2: sure. Yeah, which is significant, particularly like you say when at when that eight or nine hits on the next yeah. card, because now it's really you know just it's hard for him even when he has a big overpair like he might choose to represent. Just because he he won't have the straight as much as we will. Yep. All right. So I like it. So let's go to the turn.
1: Okay. Well, we didn't. We checked and then he bets. So he does bet. Mm-hmm. And he bets two point two three blinds, which is about like forty percent or so. A
2: little less than half the pot, right? So. Yep. So, so we're going to so call, we call. that. call like our yeah. plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Now there's just over ten big blinds in the middle, so just over twenty three thousand chips. I have 25,000 or 25 big blinds back. So I have about two and a half times the pot now. Great. The turn is the three of spades. So now we have 10, 7, 6, 3.
2: Okay. How do we feel about this card just before we get into what you did? Is there anything to say about the three?
1: No, so the the thing I would say about the three as a plan is I would be check-folding, and I would be looking to turn my hand into a bluff if he checks back. Like, that's my plan. just On this card, it's like if he double-barrels, there's no reason for us to continue. And if he doesn't, then it's like now there's an opportunity here.
2: I like it. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So then we check.
1: So we're going to check, and he checks.
2: Okay, so we just said, you just said... If he checks back, we're going to look for a river that we can actually look for bluffing opportunities on. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to bluff every single river, right?
1: Um, No, we're not going to bluff every single river. In fact, I think I would split my kings and queens up into um, calls and, and value bets. So I think I would probably value bet my queen more often than my king um, just because he's going to have a lot of hands like you know, ace king, and that um, he's that th- that we're gonna run into. So occasionally, I want him to rep, and I want him to rep that king a lot when he missed it. And he's gonna rep the queen less often, so we're gonna get a lot more checkbacks when a queen comes. So I like taking the lead in value betting when the queen comes, but checking as a way to bluff catch when the king comes. Right? If an ace comes, that's a terrible card for us, so we'll just check and give up. Uh, I think if a jack comes, I think. I think if it's the jack of hearts, we want to turn it into a bluff for sure because I think we don't have a heart, but I think if he had a flush draw, he's likely to double barrel, right? He's not likely to check back the turn after betting the flop.
2: That makes sense. And then mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, of course I agree. The, like, the worst card for us to try to bluff would be the ace just because his line is so consistent with those two over card type hands. Like you mentioned, ace king, ace queen. Yeah, uh, we're shut.
1: And, or just like any acex like we're just trying to, to to get yeah we're trying to outplay an ace here for sure right so when ace comes on the river
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not good for us to, if we're trying to outplay that hand that makes a pair so you know, what about if the 10 pairs would you bluff that card
1: uh i think so i think i would just because we could value like i would value bet a seven there i would value bet a six there on that river um i would definitely want to value bet uh a, a 10 if we had trips. So I think that that opens up for a lot of bluffs. The reason why, too, is because I think if he has a 10, he's going to bet, right? So he's not going to really have any trips in his range, so we just have to make him fold. So I would probably take all of my bet sizes if it came a 10 on the river and make them very large. So because what I would want to do is I would want to to make it work two ways for me. A large bet when I have it, I want to get – I want to make it look like I'm bluffing And have him pay me And then I'm going to contradict myself and say And when I don't have it I want to force him To fold day size right So they kind of work both ways Depending on the guy you're up against
2: Yeah back in the day we used to call that a merge It's yeah. like you make this bet And then depending on what you want Either one could be An acceptable outcome Kind of yeah. just depending on which cards you have this time You know we've been getting a lot of uh, Information lately from some of the tpe coaches about playing a polarized range and when you know, when that 10 comes if you're trying to represent a 10 or better on this board then you should bet big whether you have w- what you're representing or you don't have it right yep absolutely yeah okay so what is the actual river in this situation
1: it's actually it is does pair the board just not the 10 it's a six so it's 10 7 6 3 6
2: So, if the idea was that we would bet if the 10 paired, I guess this is a spot where, by that logic, it also makes sense for us to bet, again, if the 6 paired. We certainly have more 6s than he ever does, right? What 6s does he have? He has maybe occasionally, like you said before, he could have a 7-6 suited once in a while. We have so many more 6s than he does. So, it's a better card for our range than for his.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Especially like, like we talked about earlier when he checks back that turn after betting the flop on 10, 7, 6, 3, he's saying, I don't have any overpairs. I don't have any sets. I don't have any top pair because all of his top pair, all of his sets, all of his overpairs are basically all like, I mean, I want to say it's got to be as close to a hundred percent as it gets are going to be double barreling, you know, I mean, with the occasional, like, uh, busy in another pot so he times out check backs the turn or (laughs) (laughs) or something like that but like usually he's just going to be a bat when he has those hands
2: right let me let me just ask though because you know kind of the traditional wisdom would always be like when you have a marginal made hand like on this board something like queen 10 you might want to check back the turn for pot control so when he checks back the turn are you you know you're pretty much saying he never has a 10
1: well, okay. That's, I mean, yo, fair point, right? Like, maybe he checks back, like, Jack 10 or Queen 10 or a ham like that. But but I think maybe the mistake there for him would be if he did check back for pot control is this: is like, what is he pot controlling against? Right, <laughs> right, right. Like, he's pocket, pot controlling against, like, a bigger 10? Probably not. Maybe. I mean, it's possible. But he's going to be losing a lot of value from worse 10x. He's going to be losing a lot of value from hands like. Seven eight, seven nine, six eight, six nine. That are likely to call one more street. He's going to be losing value from the flush draws. So really, like, I think a very good player would not try to, would not try to, um, pot control top pair in a situation where even Jack-10 is going to be so much better than the majority of 10x I have because I'm going to have 10-2 suited, 10-3 suited. Well, 10-3 is two pair, but 10-4, 10-5, 10-8, 10-9. I'm going to have all these 10s in my range. Right, because
2: all you did is min-raise against the big blind, and you end up in a pot in position against the big blind who basically has virtually any two cards. Exactly. And so, yeah, pot controlling in this situation in villains' shoes, if you will, uh, doesn't really make as much sense as pot controlling against, well, you know, maybe another player who had v pipped in the first place.
1: And if it, if it's like a rainbow board occasionally here and it wasn't so connected, like let's say it's like Jack 2 or something like that. Like maybe in that spot, like there's some argument for checking back his weaker Jacks on the turn so that he can bluff catch the river. That's fine. Um, but there's just so much value to get when you have top pair on a board that's so there's going to be so many pair plus gutters and flush draws and weaker top pairs and second pairs and just just so much money to for him to get with with a good hand
2: you know okay Okay. that makes sense so i assume we are going to bluff here with king high on the river
1: yeah i mean we are going to go for it here i think you know I don't know what I bet here I haven't looked at what the sizing is going to be if I know myself it's probably something like 7 to 8 big blinds on the river here I'm going to go kind of on the larger side but I definitely see an argument for just betting like 4 big blinds and trying to make it look like I'm trying to get paid by with a 7 or a 3 or a um just something weak right like I'm trying to get some um thin value and and that actually works quite a bit you know um but but I generally tend to just like make all my bets larger post flop. I you know, we've already discussed them kind of a knit. so my ranges are going to be a little bit stronger and I'm going to be trying to get max value when I have it as often as I can.
2: I don't know if we've necessarily established you as a nit. I just think we agree that you're you're in there a little more, a little less often than I am. So that doesn't really prove any, anything. It was,
1: always a, it was always a joke when I used to be a streamer that I would just constantly look for ways to talk about how big of a nit I was. So I'm just kind of going back into that mode.
2: Okay, so why don't can you reveal uh, what what your bet sizing was here?
1: Oh, sure. Oh, wow. Look at that. I did go very small. It's surprising if you would have made me bet you $100 what my sizing would have been, I would have lost because I ended up betting two and a half big blinds. So wow. You're on the river.
2: Wow. So into a ten big blind pot you bet yeah. two and a just half. Just
1: really trying to sell him like, hey, man, I have a seven. Pay me. You know? Right.
2: And also and he's the- never going to fold a ten anyway. So if he has that somehow or some big hand, you just lose less
1: yeah exactly exactly yeah and if he makes a good call with like you know ace jack or something then hey man nice hand
2: you know yeah no i like it i mean you want to want to make that bet once in a while for value so Mm -hmm. you should make it sometimes as a bluff as well of course i definitely
1: mix it up but i you know i know in general i'm definitely betting larger you
2: know yeah i'm a little surprised that you went that small on this too did he lay down
1: uh Let's see. Yep, he does fold the river. So, but the reason why I wanted to bring this hand up, and I just want to make this point, is that we end up in these situations all the time when we're in the big blind, where we're defending a wide range because that's what we're supposed to do. Is we're getting a good price, we're going to see a flop, right? And so often, you know, weaker players are seeing this board, or inexperienced players, let's say, and they're just like, oh, I don't have anything. I don't have any backdoor flush draws. I just have two overs. It's 10-7-6, so I'm just going to fold to a 40% pop bet, and it's like well, wait a minute, this runout's going to be really good for us. And it's going to be really difficult for him to have double barrel bluffs that aren't like really big semi bluffs. Like if he doesn't have a flush draw or a pair or a, you know, a, a an over and a gut shot or something like that, he's going to be just like giving up with all of his ace jack, ace queen, ace king, ace nine, ace five hands. Right?
2: Sure. Yeah.
1: And so, so it's like, it's just one of these, we see this spot all the time and it's so important to like, Look, if you float the flop and they check back the turn, and you're and you're playing from the big blind, you should be looking to bluff a lot of rivers, especially when the 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 river doesn't run into a hand that he's likely, you know, bluffing on the flop that would check back the turn. So if the the river's not a uh, king queen, you know, jack or ace, you should be looking to bluff this a ton. Now, I I don't want to use this hand as the example with that advice because a lot of the time in this spot we're gonna have a hand like say nine four suited, right? And we're in and it's still a really great hand to bluff. It's even a better hand to bluff because we're not blocking any ace king or ace queen where this hand is. Right? So um yeah, just on these like kind of low boards, uh don't be afraid to peel one on the flop and see if see if the guy's willing to uh, double barrel or give up.
2: Yeah, it's a really solid lesson and, and is a great way to try to going back to the uh, the HUD and your overall big blinds per 100 from the big blind uh, this is a good example of one way that a good player can get his number a little less negative <laughs> if yeah, you, will. you know, we're
1: making up some big blinds in a spot like this for sure
2: yeah and it was by you know some somewhat creative thinking and just seeing range versus range as opposed to i have a red king queen in this spot with yeah you know, with this board so i like it i like it a lot so what else is happening with you and uh, TPE and or with the ACR Stormers? Uh,
1: so I haven't made a new series in a while. It's been difficult with the quarantine and the kids home all the time, having <laughs> time sure. to uh, have the quiet. I need quiet time to make a professional video, right? Like I just need space where I can be completely quiet, and it's really difficult to do that uh, during the day with the little ones home. So I'm hoping to be able to make one, um, you know, as the world starts to open up a little bit more, like we talked about earlier, sometime soon, I don't have any uh, dates or anything like that, but, but, but hopefully we'll be able to make one in the next month or two. Um, as far as stormers, we're always growing where we have like 70 some stormers. Now uh, the team is great. They're doing lots of stuff promoting and, and um, you know, they have all kinds of leaderboards and, Giveaways, and you guys should check out ACR Stormers on Twitch if you aren't already following a bunch of the stormers. It's a really, really cool community, and there's lots of uh, lots of lots of awesome value. Oh, Derek, uh, Killing Bird, the 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 TPE guy, he's a ACR Stormer. He has a home game on Tuesday nights, so yeah, check him out too.
2: I actually stopped in on Twitch this past Tuesday and said hello to everyone in the chat and watched uh, Derek. He didn't seem as drunk as usual this time, so that was cool. <laughs> he,
1: wasn't, it's uh, he, he wasn't having as much fun, huh? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. but I agree. It's a, a really strong community. Um, so can they just go to Twitch and then search for ACR Stormers?
1: Yeah, they can do that. Or they can even go to acrstormers.com, and there's all kinds of schedules of who streams when and who has home games when and what kind of promotions we have going at acrstormers.com.
2: Terrific. Well, Jason, as always, we really appreciate your time, and and thanks for coming back on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you having me, and uh, I look forward to doing it again sometime.
2: So for Snost and Lost Poker, Jason Smith, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
0: them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love Luck and intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Oh, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, oh. Face, face. Bu- 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 I wanna roll with her, a hard we will be. While little gambling is fun when you're with me. I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, oh, oh. whoa, Well, get a heart, show her.